0: Welcome to the first Octopharma Critical Care Podcast. Today we're at the Euroanesthesia 2022 Congress in Milan, where we've just attended a symposium on individualized bleeding management in trauma. And we're joined by one of the key speakers of that symposium, Dr. Louis Deleuze from Sunnybrook Hospital in Toronto, Canada. Dr. Luce is leading an important study in early bleeding management in trauma care. Dr. Luce, welcome and thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you very much. I'm very grateful to be uh, in this podcast. Thank you.
0: Beautiful day today, isn't it? It is. I guess we should start out with your field of study. What are the challenges in pre-hospital trauma care?
1: We face lots of challenges. We should reduce or stop the mechanical bleeding. So, for example, if the patient has a pelvic fracture, you're going to apply a pelvic binder to reduce the, the bleeding. So the problem is uh, when the, the bleeding is, uh, is, uh, happens in the torso, in the chest or, or abdomen, uh, you're not able to stop the bleeding. So you have to reach the hospital as soon as possible to uh, where specialized care uh, is, um, is given. The other problem here uh, is what we call uh, a trauma-induced coagulopathy. So these patients they are bleeding uh, but at the same time they are becoming coagulopathic. So you have to stop or decrease the bleeding and treat the coagulopathy early um, as much as possible. For the past 15 years we have been learning a lot with uh, with the Europeans how to diagnose and how to treat the trauma-induced uh, coagulopathy. And uh, the overall concept uh, that we have uh, learned uh, is that you have to try to uh, avoid the use of chrysoloids and uh, with that you're going to decrease the what we call the dilution of coagulopathy. So as much as possible uh, these patients should receive a pack of red blood cells, uh, ideally in the uh, you know, pre-hospital setting, uh, especially if they are bleeding profoundly. Uh, and there will be some time until the ambulance reaches the hospital. So together with that, we have to have some form of replacement of clotting factors. Usually it's given with plasma uh, in, in a ratio of two to one or one to one uh, with red blood cells. However, it's not all in every place. If you do not have access to uh, blood products uh, in the pre-hospital setting, you have to try to get to the trauma center as soon as possible to uh, initiate the uh, ideal management of the trauma-induced coagulopathy.
0: From what you're saying, it's absolutely vital to actually identify patients who are at risk of trauma-induced coagulopathy in the field, outside of the hospital setting. Are there any specific criteria that can be used to, to resolve that?
1: There is no real easy threshold that we use in the pre hospital setting. It's a little complicated because basically trauma is a complicated disease. One of the things that we have learned is that um, you know, the, the severity of the mechanical bleeding is associated with uh, overall worse uh, clinical outcomes. Uh, and the severity of the trauma induced coagulopathy is associated with severity of bleeding. Our problem here is that the uh, clinical tools we have. In the pre-hospital setting are not good to identify uh, which patients are at risk of bleeding or becoming coagulopathic. Even in the hospital setting on admission with more information, for example laboratory values, x-rays and ultrasound, it's difficult to identify appropriately these patients. We should focus on giving pro-hemostatic therapies to uh, these patients who are uh, really bleeding importantly. If your patient is being receiving Uh, blood in the ambulance, and the hemodynamic status did not improve, and you are still uh, having, uh, you know, still going to have some time uh, to arrive in the hospital, then you should keep giving more packet red cells and associate a prohemostatic product. So it's basically on the patient response. And the hemodynamic status of the patient improved. You basically just keep monitoring it.
0: So as you said, it sounds extremely complex. Is there a standardized way in which we can actually assess a patient's needs?
1: This is a problem um, in, in, in trauma because things vary a lot. So there are some scores we can use, but most most of them are used in the in-hospital setting, meaning when the patient is admitted to the hospital. But in the in the, the pre-hospital setting, the shock index is the, the most used one because basically you just need Uh, physiologic uh, parameters which are the uh, blood pressure of the patient Uh, again it's not perfect but it's one information that can be used like inside the ambulance to decide how to act so to decide about giving blood products or and and, or pro-hemostatic agents
0: so given the challenges of diagnosing patients in this sort of trauma setting what protocol would you follow in an in hospital early in hospital out hospital
1: yeah, you know, as I mentioned, the thresholds are complicated. If you have decided that your patient is, is bleeding, the next step is replace uh, you know, and try to treat it. Since the beginning, in the pre-hospital setting and and continuing uh, when the patient is admitted to the hospital, it is with uh, transfusion of red blood cells and plasma at minimum. And this, uh, you know, the, the literature shows that we have to respect uh, at least a minimum ratio of two to one. So you give two units of, of red blood cells to one unit uh, of plasma. Another important thing is the evidence on the uh, antifibrinolytic effect of the tranexamic acid in trauma. So that is a strong, high-level evidence and well established nowadays. So again, red blood cells. You're going to give plasma, and we have to uh, give tranexamic acid as soon as possible, and preferably in the pre-hospital setting. So the other thing that uh, we have to treat these patients is platelets. So the platelet function is also known to be impaired during the trauma-induced coagulopathy. Even if you find uh, a patient with normal number of platelets, on average, 40% of them, if they are bleeding quite a bit, they have dysfunctional platelets. So the platelets are part of the cell-based model of coagulation, Uh, They're going to offer their surface to assembling the clotting factors, which augments thrombin generation. So the interaction between platelets and plasma is important uh, in the intricate process. So not only plasma, so platelets being transfused here will, again, as I mentioned, help uh, help with the treatment of the coagulopathy. Another important factor is the fibrinogen. So the fibrinogen uh, evidence is very strong, uh, and uh, and seems to be even more uh, important than plasma because basically here in Europe, uh, again, and I always repeat that that we learned with you guys, you were able to start to correct trauma induced coagulopathy, just using red blood cells and fibrinogen concentrate, so avoiding uh, using plasma. So as I mentioned, the fibrinogen is the the first clotting factor to decrease. Uh, during trauma-induced coagulopathy. And the administration of arbinogen concentrate early to patients uh, in whom whom the the bleeding is controlled uh, seems to correct uh, trauma-induced coagulopathy uh, and avoid uh, that thrombin generation impairment is developed. So if you diagnose a a patient uh, with a bleeding, you transfuse RBCs and you start to transfuse fibrinogen concentrate early, you may be able to save transfusion of plasma units. The other aspect is the use of concentrate of clotting factors, which is, uh, you know, what we are addressing in the first two trials. Uh, There is non-randomized data uh, that has demonstrated that replacement of clotting factors using plasma and prothrombin complex concentrate compared with using just plasma helps with the faster correction of trauma-induced coagulopathy. So if you give plasma and protonin complex concentrate, you usually correct uh, the coagulopathy faster. Uh, in addition, uh, an important study, the RITIC study, which was a randomized controlled trial comparing the use of fibrinogen concentrate and protonin complex concentrate compared to a plasma transfusion strategy, has demonstrated that the uh, Uh, the clotting factor concentrates the strategy, decreases the number of units of RBCs, transfused and corrected coagulopathy more efficaciously. So this, this in fact, is ideally uh, what these patients should be receiving as early as possible.
0: That all sounds great, but that's an ideal approach. In reality, it's quite different. How do we have to what do you have to do to get to that ideal state? What's needed still?
1: Yeah, I think there's two things. One is the, the, what we call freeze-dried plasma. So it's a product that basically uh, overcomes the logistical problems of, of plasma. So plasma has uh, to be stored um, like frozen, it has to be thawed before administering to the patient. There's this complication. So freeze-dried plasma it's basically a powder that can be reconstituted at bedside and can be administered to the patient. So this is one thing that can be, can be added to the uh, pre-hospital setting or to the pre-hospital management of trauma-induced coagulopathy. So that is something that is new. I, I'm sure that uh, you know, there's going to be developing uh, evidence uh, quickly in this uh, scenario. So freeze-dried plasma, you guys are going to hear quite a bit uh, in the near future, I would say. And another thing is what we are doing with the first two trials, which is basically getting the uh, uh, association of fibrinogen Concentrate and prothrombin Complex Concentrate. So concentrate of clotting factors that have the uh, same logistical advantages of, let's say, the, the freeze-dried plasma, which is basically they can be stored at uh, you know, room temperature. They can be transported in air ambulances. They can go to austere environments, the distant, frozen areas in Canada, for example, uh, and be used uh, to treat, uh, you know, the trauma-induced coagulopathy in the pre-hospital setting.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much for your time, Lewis, and good luck with your study. I hope to see and hear some great news soon.
1: Very good. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure.